Thank you for people that are willing to serve like that, and we just want to honor them today. If you have God's Word, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so we're uh, talking about being prepared. And, of course, last week we, we kind of began this, this series. We launched the series. And, uh, you know, it, it was the, you know, the big view, so to speak. And then we're beginning to kind of focus down a little bit, zero in a little bit in regards to ministry here at Mission Church of the Nazarene. And, uh, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, actually, down through verse 20. But before we read the passage together, I want to invite us, as we do every Sunday, to just read this statement, a statement of promise that we're going to be open, that our spirit is going to be willing to hear and receive the word of God. And we will listen to this. We will allow that word to impact and shape our lives and that we're approaching it in this this right attitude. So I invite you with me. uh, Let's corporately read this statement together. I'm about to study the incorruptible and errant word of God. I open my heart to God's message. I humble my mind to his wisdom and I rest my hopes on his grace. I will accept its rebukes with repentance. I will rejoice in its truth by faith and trust in its promises that can never fail. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can change what it says I can change. As I trust in his grace and spirit, I covenant with God that I'm ready to learn, I'm ready to grow, I'm ready to change and hide his word in my heart to honor Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. So let's read the word today. Our text is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. So let's read this together this morning. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Makes sense? Verse 13. Now, if the foot should say, or verse 15, actually, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not the eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Let us pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you, Lord, that, uh, that Father, that you are, you are calling us together. I thank you, Father, for, Lord, the, the mission that you, you've called us to as a church. I thank you, Father, that, Lord, even as we are reading this text this morning and, and we're just processing and we're thinking and, and Lord, we're, we're just receiving the word that you are not leaving one person out. That every one of us, whether we are young or whether we're old, that you are speaking to us through this word. And I pray that, Father in heaven, that maybe for the one that has been questioning or the one that has been struggling with something, or maybe it's possible there's somebody that has been looking for their place in this world, in their own life, and, and there's just, just this voidness that's there. I pray, Father, that you would fill that voidness with your presence. I pray, Lord, that you would just reveal your perfect will 
to every person, every individual, every man and woman and child, Lord, that is, Lord, is here this morning. We thank you for this word. I pray that your blessing would be upon it. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen and amen. Now, I, I am sure that the title of my message, you can see that there on the front of the bulletin, is... Uh, is one that causes some curiosity, I think. I mean, because the title is Falling Catfish. And so I, I want to share an article with you that I came across. It was, it was a part of a, in a publication that's a subsidiary to USA Today uh, from Philadelphia. And I came across this article and I thought, you know, I, I've just got to use this. I need to share this at some time. And I thought, wow, this is a great story that illustrates how sometimes things just happen. I mean, sometimes just out of the clear blue sky, you know, no reason, no rhyme. Things just happen to us. And that's just a part of life. In fact, let me share this article with you. Here's, here's what it says. Falling catfish weren't generally considered to be one of the hazards of life in Philadelphia until now. Lisa Lobry tells the Philadelphia Inquirer that she was walking near the city's art museum on the morning of Labor Day when she heard a rustling in the trees above her. And as she looked up, hearing the rustling, as she looked up, she was suddenly slammed in the face with what turned out to be a five-pound catfish. (laughs) Can you imagine what shock? I mean, right there in the middle of the city, of all places, she glances up, hears the rustling, and and then she, she gets hit with this catfish. Well, witnesses saw a bird, possibly a hawk, or an eagle flying away. The bird apparently dropped the fish, which fell more than 50 feet through the tree branches before hitting Labrie, who was left with a cut on her face. Quote, I think it might have been head, face, and neck shot more likely because I smelled so bad afterwards. I smelled disgusting. Labrie tells CBS Philly, she adds that she can see the humor in it now, though it wasn't so funny at the time. It could have been much worse, she says. What if it hit a child? It was not a fun experience, but there are so many worse things that could have happened. It's probably one of the strangest things that has ever happened to me in my entire life. She goes on to say that she did a lot of fishing growing up in Colorado. She still loves to fish, but this was the first catfish that she ever caught. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine. I mean, I'm trying to imagine what the shock would be like as she looked up there in the middle of the city and all of a sudden she's hit with this, this catfish. No rhyme, no reason. Things just happen sometimes. But when it comes to the local church, I mean, last week it was the Mac review. We were looking at, you know, the church universal and the crisis the church is facing and decline and the young people that are leaving the church and all that. And now we are kind of zeroing down to the local church. And when it comes to the local church, it does not just happen. I mean, the local church is it's not an accident. It's not like, oh, all of a sudden there there is now Mission Church of the Nazarene. But in fact, that there was a time when there were people that began to talk about the idea of launching a church. They begin to dream about the idea that there needs to be this church that is called Mission was called Mission Valley Church of the Nazarene. And there was a time that those people got together and they bought real estate and they began to plan and they had some blueprints made and they put in the brick and the mortar and the sheetrock and the lights and the staging and all of of a sudden, ministry was launched. You see, church does not just happen. And if that is the case, I mean, if that is our premise this morning, then we need to ask the big question. And the big question is, then, why are we having church? Why are we doing what we're doing this morning? I mean, why even participate? Why even come here together and gather as we're gathering and, and have worship? And, and, and why even? And then why even as we did this morning with this precious ceremony and Emily, why do we, we have membership? 
I mean, why even take the time to become a member of the local body of Christ? Now, let me say, I mean, as far as, you know, people go, especially in this Western world, we're, we're not afraid or we're not against memberships. In fact, look how many people stand in line to join Costco. I mean, look how people rush to go to that place because, you know, they know they're going to get the big discount or, or people that rush to crunch gym or some, you know, some kind of, you know, workout center because they want to work out and they sign contracts and they go into covenants together and they become members. And you see, people are not averted to membership like people that join country clubs. So why then do people pull back when it comes to church? Experts say, I did some research on that, and experts say that more likely church membership is not defined well enough as these other entities. You know exactly what you're going to get. Oh, it's the silver package or it's the gold package. And then they define what you're going to get because you're a membership and you pay the membership and you really understand. But then when it comes to membership of the body of Christ... You know, there's this kind of ambiguity that goes with it. And hence, that's why we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 here, beginning at verse 20. And we have this text this morning because it's talking about, you know, what does it mean to be a part of the member of a body of Christ? And in fact, in the text, it's, it's very distinctive in how we interpret it. And there is a difference in how one could interpret the text. Because you see the text here, look at the passage for a moment. It's not defining the church as individual members, as we understand, say, parts, because he's talking about parts. And it's not like he's saying that, okay, we are like the body. No, Paul is not defining it in that way. It's more in medical terms that he's defining. You see, it's the body It's more in these medical terms that he's defining the body. And he's not saying that we are like the body when we become a part of of the church. But what he is saying, he is saying that we are the body of Christ, that we are the body of Christ. And that when we, we, we begin to go through the process of understanding who our creator is and then redemption begins to hit our soul and, and Christ becomes a part of our life and we repent of our sin and ask Jesus into our heart and hallelujah, God redeems us. Then all of a sudden we are part of the body, a part of the body of Christ and we are welcomed in that body and we are adopted into the body and we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ in the body. Amen. One source describes membership, and this really puts a point on it. One source describes membership in a church as a scriptural expression of covenant connectedness to the church. I I like that. Listen to that. I'm going to read it one more time. Scriptural expression. This is membership. It is a scriptural expression of covenant connectedness to a church. So so we, we say, okay, why membership? I mean, why are we being taken the time To be the church. I mean, why join the church? Well, I want to address that and really kind of address it a little bit more fully in regards to why church membership is is biblical and important. Why church membership is biblical and important. In fact, there are some ideas I have. There's three of them here I want to share with you. The first one is that membership. Here's number one. Membership reflects what the church is. I mean, think about it, because this is a thinking thing and we're processing the word of God. We just promised ourselves we're going to listen as the word speaks to us. And what the word is teaching us is that membership reflects what the church is. In fact, it's a reflection of the organic community already existing in the body as Paul defines it for us. Because he says that we are a body and and one can be a part of the body or they're not a part of the body. 
You know, as we, we read, you know, Jesus talking about being a, a part of us or he's not a part of us. And so how do you become a part of the body? We become a part of the body by becoming a part of Christ. It's not an individualistic type of, of concept that, OK, individually, this is what I'm doing. But what everybody else does, it does not matter. That's not how God has defined it. That's not what Scripture teaches us. It says that we become a part of this body because we are the body of Christ. You see, too often we live as if we are separated. We live as if we are our piles of dismembered bodies and we are piles of these body parts like ears are over here and arms over here. And by the way, the legs are gathering over here because we have all these things in common. That's clicks, you know, and we have all these things that we like, but we're not together by the agent of God, which is the Holy Spirit that brings the spirit of unity working together for the glory of God. Church, what I'm saying is how do we work and function in unity? Amen. By working together. It's like, for example, I want to take this young lady right here by the name of Sammy. Sammy, I'm going to use you for just a moment. And uh, she's going to be a hand, okay? And Sammy, I want to have you stand right here. And she's the hand. Face this altar. Touch this altar. And, okay, Sammy, I want you to pick that altar and just bring it over here real quick. Yeah, just pick that all. Okay, wait a minute. She's just a hand, and she said, "I am buff, and I'm going to do it if you ask me again." But yet, yet there's there's more that's to this. Let's let's get another hand. This young man right here. I'm going to have this man come up here, and you're going to be a hand, and you're going to be right here. And then I need another foot. Who will be a foot for me? Shane, come up here, be a foot. And then the guy behind him, come on up here and be a foot. And I'm going to have a foot stand right here, and another foot stand over here on the other side over there. And now, as the body, on the count of three, you're going to move it over here. One, two, three. Lift it up. Okay. You bring it over here. Okay. Go ahead and sit it down right there. All right. Give them a hand right now. Give them a hand for helping us function like the body of Christ in the way that, that really Paul is defining that body in the way that the spiritual body should work for the glory of God in his kingdom at work in this world. It's not an accident that we are saying that we're starting, that we're launching Mission Community September 9th. We're not calling the Mission Communities because the name of our church is Mission. That never did come up. We are calling our Sunday school classes, our Bible studies, our small groups, any uh, people group that meets together, we are calling the Mission Communities because we are the body of Christ on mission together for the glory of God. Amen. And so God has called us to be the body of Christ and to work in and for his mission, for his glory. And this might be meddling just a little bit, but let me say it anyways. <laughs> to reject the value of membership is to deny what God has already established in fact. Because we are the body of Christ. Amen. We are the body of Christ together. We are the body, again, in that medical sense that God has created as we become a part of, of his kingdom. So membership reflects what the church is. The second idea is the Bible teaches covenant community. That's up there on the screen there. The Bible teaches covenant community. And covenant is, is beyond a promise. Covenant means, or it'd say promise. But covenant, you see, is a contract. You see, it's an oath. It is this commitment that, that we move into this agreement that we move into, that we are called to covenant community according to the word of God when 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 Christ becomes a part of our life and, and we become a part of Christ. 
And I love the way that, that Paul addresses this because he addresses the trouble in the text. And then we see that in life. Sometimes, usually, when there's trouble in the text, there's trouble in real life. And then there's an answer in the text as there is an answer in real life, which is Jesus Christ. And then the trouble in the text, Paul identifies that the church at Corinth, they were putting people out of the body. They were putting people out of the body. And so there was some confusion here in regards to teaching these teachings about being a part of the body, because we are part of the body when we are part of Christ. And the pastor does not decide whether you're part of the body. The church of the Nazarene. Oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. The church of the Nazarene doesn't decide whether you're part of the body. You see, it's Jesus Christ that decides when you're part of the body. And you see, that's what membership means as we just went through that ceremony this morning. Amen. And so we recognize it's difficult to get around the scripture when it talks about being you know, brought into the body, but yet there are those that are not part of the body. But yet, for so many churches, there's no way that we understand where we stand because there's so much confusion on this. And, and there's a lack of understanding what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Because in some congregations, there's a lot of flexibility. and some congregations, there's no flexibility. Some groups of people, there's all these standards. and some groups, there's no standards at all. No wonder people are not running to be a part of, of the church. And so we come to the New Testament, remember, faithful to the word. We come to the New Testament and it identifies that, that, that there is a belonging, there is this covenant that we are in, that we enter into when we become a part of Christ and Christ becomes a part of us. And now we are members of this covenant community that God has called us to. And so membership into the body of Christ, it means something. Amen. It means something because we are part of this body that's in covenant in the name of Christ. And God shows us this and the scripture teaches us this. But then there's the third thought here. And man, dare I miss this thought. Here's the third thought. Listen to this. People need church membership. People need church membership. They need the, the membership that matters because people need it. People need membership and commitment because they need the connectedness that the community provides. You see, it's not for the faith community. We need membership not for the church so the church can beef up its numbers so the church is strong. No, it's not for the faith community. It's for the believer because it's in that connectedness, that covenant community, in the connectedness that we have spiritual strength, that we have spiritual support, and there's that spiritual accountability as we are accountable to covenant community. Amen. That's why I mentioned once in a while, I see people moving on and off the campus and they're involved in different ways, but I sometimes do not see them in worship. This is covenant community. This is how we serve. We serve in worship. And I challenge people that are just maybe kind of dipping their toe in the water to go ahead and jump in and be a part of the covenant community for the glory of God. Amen. And as the body, you can play a role in encouraging them and loving them and inviting them to be a part of this covenant community. And, and I believe God will be glorified in that. So this is not just for the sake of faith community, but, but it's also for the sake of the individuals. Now, I, I mentioned something. I want to kind of go back to it. And that is this idea of, of individualism or the individualistic type of Christianity that sometimes that people pursue. And. And I need to say this about that. It's a damaging pursuit. The individualistic faith is a damaging pursuit. And at the end of the day, you see, we are redeemed together. And we are placed in the body, the body of Christ. 
And the Bible specifically says that he has redeemed us and he's transformed us, those that are in Christ, as we read in Colossians chapter 1. He has transformed us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Hallelujah. He's transformed us. He's transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And the kingdom has a king. And the kingdom has constituents. And the kingdom has a realm. And the realm is the kingdom of God. Amen. That functions as God's people. What am I saying? What is the gist of the message? Is membership matters. Membership matters. God makes us a part of his larger family when we're born again. And Scripture also affirms that we should covenant to a local body of believers. And in covenant, then there's the accountability and there's the follow-through and there's the godly principles and there's the standards because we're in this covenant community. And so what does membership mean? It, it, it means being the church. It means being the church, which means spiritual leadership. So in spiritual leadership, setting the standard, you say, well, pastor, who, who, what are you saying? I, I'm saying there are, there are leaders here. There are board members here. There are Sunday school teachers. And, and we are called to spiritual leadership as members of the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. So how do we... How do we understand that? I mean, how do we process that? Well, for us to do so, I'd like to just share some big ideas from big men. Not this man or anybody in the church, but from, from Scripture. Some big ideas from big men. I just like the way that sounds. Big ideas from big men. And here's the first big man. The first big man, of course, is Jesus. And the spiritual leadership that Jesus shows us is that spiritual leadership, if you're filling in the blank there, the line, spiritual leadership keeps the main thing the main thing. Spiritual leadership keeps the main thing the main thing. Man, nobody had friends like Jesus. Nobody had following like Jesus and the loyalty that Jesus had. But also, nobody had been rejected like Jesus. Nobody was abused like Jesus. Jesus lived on the mountaintop in the darkest valley. Man, if anybody set the tone and set the pace, Jesus showed us how to keep the main thing the main thing. Because as I was on the cross and he went to Calvary. And he died for us. He died for you. And he had all these distractions. But he kept his mind and his eye on the cross. He kept the main thing, the main thing. Spiritual leadership, you see, keeps the main thing, the main thing. And, and, and if it's the mission, you know, and it is, by the way, then that means we keep the mission, the main thing. I mean, all these other things, there's lots of justification and interest that we have as far as church goes. But the main thing is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and lifted up. Amen. That's the first lesson. Another lesson from a big, uh, big man with a big idea. Number two. Here's number two if you're filling in the blanks. Spiritual leadership can work from a low position as well as a high position. Did you catch that? A low position as well as a high position. I mean, Joseph. I mean, he's the big man. Joseph, the man of coat of many colors. And he was sold into slavery, remember? And then out of slavery, he stayed faithful to God. And then he was raised up into leadership. And then he was betrayed and, and Potiphar's wife lied about him and then ended up in jail. But he was faithful to God. Then he was raised up again. I mean, what an example that spiritual leadership, spiritual leadership can work from a low position as well as a high position. And I, I don't know where you're at right now. And I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're down on yourself. Maybe you're up on yourself. But I, I encourage you to know that, that spiritual leadership understands that, that God will work from a low position and you work from a high position. 
And you can work and he works through you and the spiritual leader. We are called to that. Amen. So spiritual leadership can work from a low position as well as a high. Number three, spiritual leadership hears the voice of God and sees the vision. And of course, the big man on campus is Abraham. In fact, we named our youngest son Abram. I love that name. Father of many, that's what it means. And, and, and yet Abraham, he was the man that was the father. He was not only the father of many, but he, he was the man that heard the voice of God. He had the vision of God. And, and it's exciting to have a vision. It's exciting to see the vision that God has given us as a church to seek and to serve and to reach those in this world for Jesus Christ. The, the, the vision that, that not only a mission is what God has called us to, but there's this campus that we're going to expand and we're going to grow and we're going to bring glory to God and all of that. So this is part of the vision and seeing what it is that God can do through us and through you, Mission Church. And then number four, and, and Moses is our guy for number four, spiritual leadership realizes that what one is doing is for generations to come. And that is why I love what Selah is doing. I love the young lives and these young people, men and women that are carrying not only their academic load, but they're saying, I'm willing to use my talents for the Lord. And they're willing to serve. And, and so I, I just recognize that. I honor that this morning. Because what we, we recognize and what Moses shows us is that the things that we do is not just for now. It's not just for this generation Hallelujah is for generations to come. The way we live, the way we behave now affects that next generation. Uh, let me put a point on it. I'll, I'll never forget that that afternoon. I was maybe 13 years of age and my mom and dad had a, a restaurant. And uh, so I grew up in this restaurant called the Inland Cafe, Baker City, Oregon. And um, my dad was a board member and my mom and dad loved Jesus for years and served the Lord. And uh, dad... Uh, he was running the errand, and I noticed that, had his keys getting ready to go somewhere. I said, I want to go with you, Dad. And he said, okay. And I went with my father, and this was before debit cards. We just had Visa cards back then. And, um, and he had gone someplace. The memory is kind of foggy now. The impact is still there, but the memory of the details is foggy. So we go to someplace, and Dad is using his Visa card to get some cash. And he gets $100 cash. He uses his Visa card to get some cash. And I said, what, what, why are you doing that? And I just kind of, you know, passionately asked the question, why are you doing that? And he said, well, he said, I, I do not have the money to pay tithe this week. And I do not want to miss paying my tithe. And so I'm charging it to my Visa card. And so that seems like not a big deal to you. But for this young boy at 13 years of age... I'm seeing my dad so faithful to paying his tithe that he's willing to borrow money to do so. And he was going to pay himself back because he was committed. to the... You see, what we do is not only just now, it's affecting generations to come. Amen. People are watching us. Amen. People are watching you and that your spiritual disciplines and your faithfulness to God, your faithfulness to church, your younger kids, your, your, your friends, they're watching you and we're affecting not only this generation, but yes, even our vision, even our mission is affecting generations to come. I want to have Selah come back and just lead us in some worship and I invite you guys to go ahead and come and lead us. And as we do, I want to invite us just to listen 
to the Lord this morning, to listen to what God is maybe saying to us and how God is speaking to us as far as the mission goes at Mission Church of the Nazarene. And, and are we, you know, everything that God is asking us to be? Are, are we the Christian that God is calling us to be? And, and what is the vision that God has given you? Amen. I want to invite us to stand. We're going to worship. Let's stand together, and Selah is going to, to come and lead as soon as I finish prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for answered prayer. I thank you, God, for your goodness, your presence this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you, Lord, are holy in every right. That, Lord, that this is holy ground, that upon this ground, Father, we, we humbly bow before you, we submit to you, and we say, Lord, it's your mission, it's your church. Help us, Father, to be all that you've called us to be. Help us, Father in heaven, to be prepared as the local church, to be the best example that we can be. Be faithful, Father, to be holy, to be righteous, Lord. Help us to serve you, God, that, in a way that honors you. Help us, Lord, to be, be faithful in stewardship and our giving and our serving. Help us, Father in heaven, Lord, just to be everything that we're saying we are, a mission church, to be on mission. So, Father, we just want to take a moment. And as you speak to our hearts and we're listening to your voice, as we are your body, we are your body that will respond to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.